Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. All right, and here we go in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we have the founder and CEO, Be Generous. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Dominic Combs. Dominic, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. Of course, of course. So, <clears throat> Dominic, let's just get right into it. You know, Reelers Podcast here. Um, I, I want to go straight to kind of the human side of Dominic. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks, they kind of have these stories about kind of what makes them them how their company came to be. When I ask you that question of what makes Dominic Collins, what's maybe some adversity that you faced? What resonates with you? Oh, adversity. Well, I think um, there's a famous quote that says, failure is a prerequisite for success. And I think that's been um, partially the story of my life and the story of, I think, most successful entrepreneurs have gone through extraordinary failure to get to where they are. Um, you know, for me, um, I had an interesting background. I was born in Asia, uh, in Hong Kong, and uh, grew up in Hong Kong for a few years, then moved to London, England, and then eventually to the United States. So, you know, growing up, challenging environment, um, living on three continents before I was, you know, 15 years old, and um, coming to the US with a funny accent and not having any friends and not knowing the culture was, you know, culture shock. Um, so that was my first experience with adversity. And then eventually, um, you know, I ended up going to school in New York City. And when I, I, I went to Columbia University, when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
Um, I think like a lot of young people, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and I ended up on Wall Street and I was very unhappy. Um, that was the second sort of realization of like, wow, I'm having a a quarter life crisis, if you will, a quarter stage life crisis. So um, these were some of the early types of um, adversity situations that I faced. And, uh, you know, they ultimately led me down the path that I've been on for 10 years now in building um, private technology companies that uh, build products in the philanthropic space. But it was, you know, a lot of trial and error, a lot of adversity in getting here. And so let's let's talk about, um, before we just go right into Be Generous, a few of the enterprises that you started and launched before. What were some of those and, and also some key takeaways that you learned from them? Yeah, so I was on Wall Street for a couple of years and eventually decided that I wanted more of a career in the impact side of things. So then I started working for the Afghanistan mission to the United Nations for the Afghanistan ambassador um, as an international diplomat, which was an incredibly rewarding position, as you might imagine. This was during the war in Afghanistan, um, and it was just an unbelievable experience. And then I got asked to join the chairman's office of the Senate Finance Committee in Washington, D.C. So I moved to Washington, D.C. and was there for a bit and really got to understand how legislation is made and um, how this company operates. So that was my foray into public policy. And then I kind of came to the conclusion that I'd been in the private sector on Wall Street. I'd been in the public sector on, on the Hill. If there was some way to sort of combine the best parts of both worlds, meaning the dynamism, the resources and the and the innovation of the private sector, with the promise of the public sector, which ostensibly is to try to improve people's lives, that would be an area I'd be interested in. And that led me uh, down this path that I've been on now for 10 years in building private companies in the philanthropic space. The first company that I was a part of was a company called Global Philanthropy Group, which was a private philanthropic consulting firm. Um, and uh, we basically worked with the nation's premier philanthropists, everybody from Madonna to Kobe Bryant, to the Getty family, to the Buffett family, to Facebook and, and Dell computers and running their philanthropic initiatives. And uh, that was the my foray into the world of um, profit and purpose, if you will. And it's interesting how you said the, you know, the public center, sector is uh, to improve lives. That's the main purpose of, of that public sector. What would you say the main purpose of the private sector is? Well, I'm, I just nominally, that's the <laughs> that's the purpose of the public sector. I don't know if everyone who really goes into that world does it with pure intentions. I would say nominally, the, the purpose of the private sector, historically, I would say, has been to maximize shareholder value. I mean, that has been, the, the you know, it's to make a profit and maximize shareholder value. I think more recently with the generational shift you see in the United States, there's a lot more focus on profit and purpose, having true double bottom line ventures. So it's not just about maximizing shareholder value. It's also about producing positive externalities in society in order to help the broader community of, of people in the world. I think that's been a there's been a shift toward that mentality recently. And, and how do you see your company doing that? Oh, well, be generous. The current company we're running is a true double bottom line venture. I mean, um, you know, we've built a we're a private VC or venture capital backed company. Um, private tech company, but we've built the first ever philanthropic credit product, which allows somebody to donate now, pay later. So similar to how buy now, pay later works, but with charitable donations. So using our product, you can make a donation to a nonprofit. The nonprofit will receive the donation right away. The donor will get their full tax deduction, but the donor doesn't spend any money out of pocket and they pay that donation later at no additional cost to them. And so our company is um, you know, generating, essentially will generate profits for investors, but ultimately in the long run, we're going to open up billions of dollars of additional liquidity for nonprofits. And hopefully the goal is that money trickles down into the communities. So we have a huge positive externality. If we're successful as a company, the world 
ostensibly would be a better place because the, the capital that we generate for these nonprofits will ideally trickle down into the communities and programs that need it the most. And, and tell me a little bit more about the, the business and the stages you've experienced. Obviously, when you're kind of starting it, you know, you're building the product, kind of getting off the ground, you're talking to nonprofits, you're doing a lot of the pushing yourself. Where would you say you are currently in this stage? What's taking the most of your time? Yeah. So, I mean, when you start, you know, I've started three companies, three tech companies. When you start a company, the first phase is always diligence, product diligence, understanding, is there a market for what you're doing? Do people want what you're going to try to build? Um, is there a true use case that you're trying to solve for? Understanding that is obviously very important. If you feel confident in that, then of course you need to capitalize the business. So you need to go and raise some money. It could be $10,000. It could be $10 million. You know, we've raised a lot of money, a lot of VC money at Be Generous, close to $10 million. Um, because it's an expensive product to build. Fintechs are expensive. Lending businesses are expensive. Um, and then, of course, you need to build the product, iterate on the product, test the product, and put the product into the marketplace. I mean, I'm skipping over some steps, but this is generally what you need to do. So we've done all that. Um, it took two years. It was incredibly, incredibly tough. And now we're in the growth phase of the company. Uh, we put the product into the market about 120 days ago, had an extraordinary first quarter in the market. Um, with more than half a million dollars of applications submitted to us for credit. And we approved about $1.3 million of credit to donors uh, in, in about 120 days, so considerable numbers. And now we're basically in the process of scaling the platform, what's called scale, where you take a company from doing $1.3 million in approved credit to $13 million in approved credit to $130 million in approved credit, and so on and so on. So that's the phase we're in now. And so uh, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this. You know, uh, how do you look at scale? What are some of the questions you're asking yourself and your team to think about in order to uh, drive this growth that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, this is the million dollar question, right? How do you take a company or a product that's had some initial success in the market and maybe starts to see the beginning of product market fit? How do you take that to true product market fit and then ultimately to scale by, you know, 30, 40, 50 Xing the number of clients or the volume that you're doing in, in sales? Um, it's 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 a it's very nuanced question because it's going to be different for every business. You know, in a lending business like ours, I think the key is: do people want to use the product? Is there a good use case for these loans? And are people taking out the loans? And then, of course, there's a whole separate consideration of: are they paying back the loans? Right. So, what's your loss? What are your loss rates and so forth? So today, we have a zero percent delinquency rate and a zero percent default rate. Um, we have an extraordinary credit box um, with our product. And so, for us, the way we think about scale is. How many more nonprofits can we bring onto the platform? Because obviously, if you have more nonprofits on the platform, you have a greater, you're just increasing the amount that you can potentially loan to donors. And then, of course, the secondary question is, how do we capture a greater percentage of their overall donation volume? So it's about top line bringing on more merchants or nonprofit clients. And then, and then secondarily, it's how do we increase the pie that we're getting from each client, essentially. And... In terms of the, you know, running a business is easy sometimes, managing people is difficult. What have been some of the the challenges um, or I guess opportunities that you've seen about growing a double uh, bottom line venture in terms of recruiting talent, programmers, you know, sales folks, people like that? So I get this question all the time, which is what is the hardest part about running a startup? And everybody thinks I'm going to say it's raising money or building a product. That's hard, sure, but that's not the hardest part for me personally. The hardest part is managing people and recruiting. And people are complex. You know, you have 
you have 10 employees, that's 10 sets of emotions, 10 sets of personalities, 10 sets of problems, um, and, and also 10 sets of opportunities. But you have to meet people where they're at. And, you know, I've been on my own journey as a leader over these last 10 years and have become a significantly better manager. I think in my first company, I was an okay manager, maybe not a great manager. Now on my third company, I think I'm a great manager. And we you know, we actually do anonymous polling at the company to, to get feedback from the employees. So, um, you know, it's a complex thing. And, and also the other thing that's important is it, it, it's cyclical based off of the economy. When the labor market's really tight, you feel that. You very much probably feel that if you're recruiting. You have to pay higher salaries, offer more perks. When the labor market is looser and there's a lot of unemployment, um, you also feel that too. I mean, you can you essentially don't have to pay as 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 much money. The perks can be, you know, um, less onerous on the business. And so it really does you know, sort of ebb and flow with the with the economy overall. What's your philosophy on hiring? Who are you looking for? What are some of the questions you want to make sure that you ask? I think uh, the two most important aspects for hiring are, or three for me. Um, one, are you proactive? You know, for me, a killer is if I have to look over your shoulder constantly and micromanage you, it's not going to be a successful um, working environment for me or for you. I'm going to be incredibly frustrated. You're going to be incredibly frustrated. So proactivity is a huge thing. It's probably the most important thing for me personally as a CEO. I look for people that are proactive and that can take the reins and run with them. And I, I really like the philosophy of ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's how I like to run my companies. So that's one. Uh, the other two things I would say are being a, a generally a good person, having a, 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 a an affable personality, being friendly, being kind. You know, everybody jokes around. They have a policy of, you know, no assholes. That's what everybody says. I'm not going to go with the cliche, but, you know, we don't know. I don't think anyone wants to work with rude, nasty people. Um, so we have no one yells at our company. No one's rude at our company. We've never had anyone quit at our company um, for these reasons, right? It's a friendly working environment. And then lastly, it's do you have the capabilities, obviously, to perform the function the job at a very high level? One of the things I say to all new people that join the company is, listen, this is not going to be an, a huge learning environment for you. We're looking for people that know how to do this job that can teach us, that can come in and say, look, I've already done this job for 10 years at a company that's 50 times bigger than you. I want to come in and create the policies, persistence, and procedures that I know how to do in order to make your company successful in this area. And so we look for people that have that expertise to come in. Now, of course, in the more junior positions, we can't always have that. So I'm talking more mid-level, senior level. But yeah, I mean, you know, can you do the job to the highest degree? Do you have at least five to 10 years of experience doing it? Are you a nice, kind, good person? And are you proactive? That's what I look for. And obviously, Dominic, you can't be everywhere in the business, right? You need to have and, and delegate some power to someone else. Um, how do you go about that process? You just said, I like people running with them, their own things. How do you, do you create boundaries, parameters? What's your thinking on that? Yeah, I like to give people more leeway and let them kind of make mistakes and then rein them back in. You, don't, you never know where the line is until you test it or cross it in some sense. Obviously, there are basic parameters in place, but I like to give people the leeway to be creative, to figure out the solutions that they believe would work. That's why you hire someone with 10 years of experience, right? You don't hire them and then meet for me to micromanage them. You hire them and say, listen, you know how to do this better than anybody. Go and do it. And if, you, if I start to see mistakes, things going wrong, errors being made, then I'll rein you back in. Um, I also have a great COO, you know, in, in all my companies, I've always made sure to have a strong chief operations officer who can act essentially as my eyes and ears in a variety of situations where, like you said, I can't be everywhere at all times. And I think that's, you know, critically important in an early stage company to have a generalist who can step in for you when you can't be available. Dominic, it seems like you're obviously maximizing your time efficiently. Um, if you had a pie chart 
where would you say you spend most of your time? I spend most of my time on probably product and customer success right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this is the, this is a great question because this changes radically. If you look per quarter where I spend my time, it's very different. You know, when we were doing our first capital raise for the company, I spent 95% of my time capital raising because you don't have money to do to build a company, you can't build a company and probably 5% on everything else. Then it switched to more, you know, balanced of, you know, 50% hiring at one point, you know, scaling up the company it was, and then 50% finishing the cap raise. And then it was, you know, almost no capital raising and, you know, 30% hiring and, you know, 60%, um, you know, let's say uh, compliance, product, banking relationships, and so forth. Today, I spend most of my time on product marketing and customer success. Um, and then I touch on, you know, I obviously touch base with the sales team each week, the compliance team, the finance team, the operations team. But most of my time as CEO is spent on product marketing, customer success. I always love that question because I think people anticipate a different answer. And so with that in mind, like how would you describe the role of a CEO? A great question. Um, I, I think in its most simple form, a CEO is somebody who um, has to think five steps ahead of everybody else. You literally get paid to think about what's coming next, not what's happening right now. You know, if you asked everybody at my company what's going to happen in the next six to nine months, everybody would say, I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing right now, right? I'm focused on the next two weeks. I'm focused on the next month to two months. If you ask me, I could give you a very detailed answer on what's happening in the next six to nine months. So you need to have the foresight to know what's coming and plan for that. Um, you also need to be incredibly, incredibly calm and have a very strong um, disposition toward being um, you know, calm under pressure. Um, that is that is the hallmark of a CEO. People who are screaming, yelling, getting super emotional all the time, destined for failure, uh, in my opinion. Um, you need to just have a calm disposition. You need to take the news, the ups and the downs, as they say in startup life, and uh, you know, keep on pushing on. You know, Woody Allen famously said, "80% of success is showing up." And I think as a CEO, just no matter what happened the day before, you wake up the next day and you say, okay, today's a new day, whether it was great news or bad news, and I got to execute today. So having that mentality of pushing forward at all times, um, I think is critically important as a CEO. Dominic, a lot of the fun quotes you've been uh, sprinkling in in today's episode. How do you, con- like, it seems like you're a, const- a consistent learner, continuous learner, excuse me. Where do you go for your information? How are you learning what do you do? I read a lot of books. Um, I have a huge, you know, right here in my, in my house, I have a huge library with like probably 800 books in the library. I don't have as much an opportunity to read now as I did, you know, two years ago before I started this company, but I still, you know, there was a point where I was reading one to two books a week when I had more time. Um, now it's more like one to two books every couple months, obviously I'm just busier, but that's been a huge source of, um, learning from me, of course. And I've read most of the major business books by, you know, um, most of the major business leaders today, including in the startup world, um, because who better to learn from than the people that have done it before and they're offering their insights, whether it's the CEO of Amazon, CEO of Disney, CEO of Nike, um, CEO of PayPal, you know, and so forth. So um, books have been a huge source for me. Also have, in the past, I've, I'm pretty into TED Talks and documentaries. So I've watched a fair number of documentaries, particularly as it relates to the startup world. Um, I've seen all the, you know, the interesting documentaries around Uber um, and Theranos and uh, the new one with um, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried and all the craziness of what these these people have been doing. Um, it's just interesting to learn their journeys and where they went wrong and 
you know, uh, the ups and downs of the startup world. And of course, then I've watched documentaries about, you know, really successful companies. So it's very interesting for me to, to delve into that world. So I would say books, TED Talks, documentaries, um, a little bit of podcasts as well. And where do you think you're able to like get in your, your best mindset? Are you, are you doing meditation? Are you taking time off? How do you make sure that when those problems arise, you're keeping that calm and level head, as you mentioned? Yeah, the number one thing that I do is I just, I do something completely unrelated to the business that's would generally be considered like, like silly, for example. So I'll do like, I'll watch. So I watch almost no television. I just, I don't have time to watch TV. Really, I really don't. You know, you're, when you work 18 to 20 hours almost every day, there's just no time. So, but I like certain shows. I like basketball games and stuff like that. Now, in my opinion, it's a profound waste of time to watch a basketball game if you have a lot of work to do, obviously, right? I think most people say, if you have a lot of work, you got to do your work. But sometimes what I'll do is if I'm really stressed or if I'm iterating on a problem and not coming up with a solution, I'll put on a basketball game and just zone out for two hours. I won't pick up my, I'll literally turn off my phone or I'll, I don't turn it off. I turn it on notifications off. I'll put it away. I'll have a couple of beers and I'll just zone out and watch the game. And it's, is seemingly unrelated to the business, but what invariably happens is you rest your mind and you come at that problem with a whole new appreciation for, A, you have more perspective because you realize, listen, the world's not going to end if I make this decision wrong or right. There's other things going on. And B, you just give your chance, you give your mind a chance to relax and take your mind off of what your problem was. And so for me, watching a basketball game, a Lakers fan, for example, watching the Lakers play, having, you know, a couple beers is very... Um, is very relaxing for me. So that's something I do. And yes, I have historically, I've been into meditation. Um, uh, there's something called Vipassana meditation, which I've been really into, which has helped me a lot too. So yeah, these are some things that I do to kind of take the edge off. How do you spell that? V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A, Vipassana meditation. Vipassana, yeah, interesting. I think, I think that's how you spell it. Interesting. Um, noted. So Donna, just, you know, out of all of these years of growth, through the lens of a leader, if you had to identify a few of those core factors that on now your third business, if you were to start a fourth one, what would be those core leadership uh, factors or principles that you would want to make sure uh, you implemented or um, did right away to make yeah. sure that the company grew? Well, okay. One would be having extreme patience. <laughs> You need to have extreme patience as a CEO or a leader. Um, that is hands down. Things just take way longer than you ever expect them to take um, in any environment. Two, um, being level-headed and realistic about what the growth prospects are for the product. People, you know, see, hear these crazy stories every day about this company being valued at this billion and that billion. And, you know, to, since I'm giving quotes all day, I'll give you another one. It took me 10 years to become an overnight success, right? There is no such thing as an overnight success, right? Everybody starts somewhere. and um, I think being just being realistic with the growth prospects of your company when you're forecasting out is going to be important. Understanding your cash flow and how that relates to what is a realistic trajectory for your growth is going to be incredibly important. And then lastly, and this is by far the biggest one, is just an incredible amount of self-confidence and belief in yourself. If you don't have that, um, you just can't be a startup CEO. It's just not possible, um, in my opinion, because you know, almost bordering on, on um, overconfidence because you, you have to be, you know, so one of my investors told me recently, you have to be crazy to, to do what I've tried to do with Be Generous. I mean, when I initially came up with this idea, the idea was let's get someone to, to give us a hundred million dollars 
to lend to donors on an interest-free basis to give money away to nonprofits. I mean, it sounds ludicrous on its face, essentially. That's really what we're doing. And yet we did it. Um, we did it and then some. And so you just have to really believe in yourself and believe that it's possible and have kind of a wild imagination to want to do something like this. And I actually put your whole life on the line and say, I'm actually going to do it. Um, now I've just naturally like, uh, so I just naturally have that self-confidence is the way I am. But, um, I think that like, that's something that people really need to remember because when times get tough and they will in any business, I mean, I, I was just watching something last night about uh, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, one of the Shark Tank investors. She was on the verge of bankruptcy with her company. It's just one of many. Elon Musk famously was about to go bankrupt with Tesla and um, uh, uh, SpaceX. I mean, it just, you know, so many stories of famous business leaders who are teetering on the edge of bankruptcy or collapse. And in those moments, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe like, I can solve this problem. I'm the person to do it. I know what I'm doing. Because if you don't have that confidence, psychologically, it's just too much. Um, so I think that's the biggest principle to keep in mind, extreme self-confidence. I love that. A reminder that I'm still that guy. I could still do it, right? Yeah. Oftentimes yeah. we forget. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Definitely. Dominic, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for stopping by today. In all of this, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Great, great questions. Um, my definition of a real leader uh, is somebody who everybody looks to um, when times get tough and they and they respect that person because they know that that person is going to lead them to the promised land, so to speak. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a real leader. And if you think of someone in your head, I'm thinking of someone in my head, we all have our version of that. When times get tough, who do you call for advice? Who do you call for recommendations? Who do you call as the person that you look to? That's a real leader. And it's going to be different for everybody. And that person's going to have different characteristics. But that's a real leader. I have someone in my mind, and I'm sure you have someone in your mind, too. Really enjoyed this conversation today, Dominic. For Dominic Combs, I'm Kevin Edwards asking to go out there, lead people to the promised land. And always, folks. Keep it real. Thanks, Dominic. Thank you. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.